Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank our 16-bit tier subscribers, Lyle McCarns and Ashton Ruby. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Thank you. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 57 of Retro Hangover. Retro gamers, and welcome to the podcast where we chill to Chumbawamba while choosing Chowdown champions for Chibata Chili Dog Challenges. This is episode 57 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, joined, as always, by your host, Shane Chaos Emerald Fast Finishing Dick Dragon Koski. Really? You had to keep that one in there, huh? Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Shane, yeah. How 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 have you been? What have you been up to? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, you know, trying to get some some new and different games in. So, I think. Well, I had mentioned it to you. I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, but um, I, I ended up picking up ukulele finally for my Switch. I haven't heard that. So I started playing that. It's not bad, you know. I, I so far. The the thing that I see is that it's very it's competent, but like it doesn't it's not really grabbing me like that I thought it would. It, it's almost like trying to be those old you know banjo kazooie style collectathon games, like almost to a to a fault, and um, it's just not particularly engaging. I don't know. I, I need to get some more time into it to see, but I, I've gotten through the first like three book worlds or whatever, and. It's all right. It's all right. I, I heard that I guess the follow-up was better. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen that The at Impossible all, Lair is supposed to be an, a fantastic game. I haven't gotten around to playing it because, you know, I normally get around to playing things about five to ten years after right. they release. But I would love mm-hmm. I would love to play it. It looks like a really competent 2D platform adventure game that is inspired by a lot of those collectathons. So I, right. I wouldn't call it a Metroidvania, but at the same time, it kind of is. While at the kind of having the overworld map of something like Super Mario 3D World. So the sequel, yeah, it looks a lot, a much more of a better game. So speaking of other genres of, of games that people have been trying to pick up and, and make something out of, um, conversely, uh, I've been playing Darksiders Genesis after, you know, we we covered the, the OG Darksiders on our previous episode. And um, it's pretty good, like like surprisingly good. It's kind of gotten me into the back into anyway, the whole Darksiders thing. So that's cool. And I'm always a huge fan of, of ARPGs. And so this one uh, does it really well. The only downside is that it has some like fairly serious performance issues. Like it, it drags a lot harder than it really ought to, given that it's just an isometric like, you know, RPG. Um, but other than that, uh, it's 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 pretty solid. I, I've been enjoying that one so far and being able to swap between war and strife 
with one being like a melee character and the other one being ranged. Like it's it's pretty dynamic, so it's cool. I'll probably end up doing a, a rapid fire review for our uh, our patrons on our exclusive bonus content feed. So exclusive. Um, yeah, totally exclusive. You have to wear a jacket and everything. Most exclusive. Um, and then outside of that, I actually got <laughs> I got back into playing Mario Kart 8 Deluxe again. That's a good um, game. Also inspired by our our previous episode. Um, mostly because I just needed to re-unlock everything on my Switch because I had played all of it on my Wii U. And when I picked up the new version, I uh, hadn't gone through and done that. So that's why you don't abandon your Wii U, you bastard. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that. But I, for the record, I still have not abandoned it. It is hooked up in my living room. It's got a spot under the TV. I just, you know... I, I like my Switch. I like having the ability to kind of just play that wherever wherever I want to, uh. you know. Plus the Deluxe added like all the DLC stuff and all that. But So uh, yeah, trying to beat the, uh, the time trials on that one now because I want to unlock like the golden cart pieces or whatever because I'm that person. But yeah, man, that's that's pretty much me so far. Um, I also heard that the Sonic the Hedgehog movie is like surprisingly good, which yeah. I... I I can't believe until I until we go see it, but yeah, apparently that's a thing. I don't know. So, um, what about you? What what have you been up to since the since the last time we talked? Well, this weekend is my anniversary, or has been my anniversary, currently is my anniversary as we are recording this episode. I'm gonna insert some of those DJ horns in the background nice. for that. Uh, been yeah. married 14 <laughs> years now, if you can believe it. My wife says that it makes it she's she's very proud of me for putting up with her for that long. And I feel the same way, Uh, not towards her, but opposite with me. Very proud that she has put up with me uh, that long. Very impressed. (laughs) It's it's mutual. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's the key reason we did not go see Sonic the Hedgehog the movie this morning, because that would be quite rude. Tried to get the wife to see it yesterday morning uh, with the kids because Sunday movies around here are five dollars a ticket. Well, like five and a half dollars a ticket at AMC. Uh, She had no part of that. She wanted to see Birds of Prey. So we saw Birds of Prey yesterday, which with your kids. No, 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 no. Oh, okay. (laughs) I say from what I've heard, that's maybe a bad idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Like, here's the thing. I have no problem with my kids seeing Deadpool, but Birds of Prey kind of it kind of upped it a notch. Like it, like Deadpool is slapstick gruesomeness. Birds of Prey was just gruesomeness. Uh, Yeah, that's kind of what I heard. Wasn't particularly funny. The best way I could describe, uh, I was about to say describe Grindhouse, but that is Birds of Prey. It's like a Grindhouse flick. (laughs) It's not really very well acted. The narrative is all over the place. It's very disconjointed, but it, it has its own appeal to it. It has its own charm. That keeps it from being a horrific, horrific movie. So I was watching this movie and I was at the at the end of it. It's like, why do I not hate this movie? Because there is a lot of cringe. There is a lot of bad to it. And I was thinking, <laughs> I like that that is the thing that comes up at the end of a DC movie now is like, wait a minute. Why don't I hate this? Mm-hmm. Because I should hate it. And I was like, oh, I like games like House of the Dead Overkill because they are just over the top campy terribleness. And sure. that is Birds of Prey to a T. Uh, it's a grindhouse flick. It's just that it's a popcorn movie. Don't see it at full price if you don't have to. But it's fun. 
I guess. Uh, Ewan McGregor kills it in that movie. I love Ewan McGregor in that movie. He is he, he, he steals it. Margot Robbie's not too bad, but everyone else pretty much is forgettable. Justice for Obi Wan, oh, of course. Yeah, give 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 us our Obi Wan series. Damn it. Yeah, you'll get the Obi Wan series on Disney Plus, and then it's going to be like uh, every other. The last two versions of the Star Wars trilogy that were just in theaters, and everyone will complain. Don't, and don't don't you put that on me, Ricky Bobby. It's gonna happen. That's what's. Gonna I don't. Be. I don't need that. Kathleen Kennedy is Especially, going to ruin your life, and then there'll be YouTube uh, listen, videos if, from Neckbeards complaining about it. If we can have the Mandalorian, it. then I have at least a sliver of hope that something Star Wars related is not going to be a fucking trash compactor fire. Okay. Yeah. Like, well, it, I can. You hope. already said you had the Mandalorian, and now they're bringing lightsabers into that because that's, that would, that's what you needed. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well. I mean, do you want to start talking about the dark saber? I mean, we can go into some fucking extended universe shit. Let's go way okay, off the fuck rails. Sonic. This is an extended universe Star Wars podcast now, <laughs> which will be Shane ranting. Let's talk about dark Revan. All right. Let's go. Like this is this will be the audio equivalent of like that poster board with just red strings pinned everywhere. Oh, that's, that's what this is going to be. I also saw uh, <laughs> moving along before we get saying uh, uh, Shane too insane. See, saying Freudian yeah. slips all over the place. Yep. Um, sure. Saw the Dragon Quest movie on Netflix, and if you don't love Dragon Quest Five, don't watch it. It's not good at all. <laughs> I, I'll have to say, if you like Dragon Quest Five. Like, I played Dragon Quest V. I like Dragon Quest V. I found it charming and entertaining. So, if you mm-hmm. do, go ahead and check that one out. The ending steals too much from the Lego movie, I think, which okay. I didn't notice at first. Une- unexpected, but that's right. It, it really steals from the Lego movie, in my opinion. Uh, if you want to know what I'm talking about, watch it, and you'll probably hate me for it, but that's the best way I can describe it. In, to- in terms of video games, I've been playing, again, uh, continue to play Evolution Worlds. Uh, mm-hmm. tedious that's that's Great. the word for that game tedious just put that right on the front of the box tedium tedious 10 out of 10 tedium 10 out of 10 in tedium uh every other yeah. measurable way i can describe it oh god um <laughs> okay so i'll just avoid that one no there's no redeeming qualities i guess is the best way i can put it it's all right well become a patron now uh, and look forward to the rapid fire review of the tedious video game that chris has been subjecting himself to now very tedious that's bad oh (laughs) okay so what else besides that anything else that's that's it you know just continuing plugging along it just just crushes your will to play video games no i mean yeah i I, I can't wait to get i just want to get it done and so i can move on to something i can enjoy and refresh my palate before i dive into another bad game because i have all these physical games (laughs) that eventually i do need to play and some of them are bad so i just have to accept it (laughs) <laughs> it's going mm. to happen oh so all right so before we before we move on because we have a lot to talk about for this episode yes. um i i have been informed that i need to make sure that i mention that i have also been playing some vr gaming lately okay um so yeah well okay i i don't own a vr headset i've actually never played a vr game mm-hmm. Um, up until very recently and so for this past valentine's day um my fiance was awesome and surprised me vr porn uh, session <laughs> yeah not not oh. quite but um she did surprise me with a uh, a vr session at um a gaming place here downtown and um it was it was a lot of fun i mean they've got you know it's just steam vr with like i think some oculus headsets or something but 
Um, I played a game called Arizona Sunshine, which I'm sure maybe some of our listeners are familiar with if you've been playing some VR stuff. Um, Basically just like a a zombie shooter type of game, but it was a lot of fun. I don't know if it was an issue with their machines at this place because it got really hitchy. Um, which if that does that too much in a VR headset, it's going to make you want to hurl. Uh, but, but that was pretty minor outside of that though. It was actually a a really good time. So this, I I also told her, I was like, you realize all this is doing is just, you know, reinforcing the fact that I want to drop a stupid amount of money on a VR headset now. Right. Not if she gets you the PS VR, which I hear is right now the best VR experience you can afford is probably the most affordable one mm-hmm. and has some good options. I mean, if that runs well with just a base PS4, because I don't have a pro, then, you know, sure. Allegedly, yeah. it does. Allegedly, it runs very well at the PS4 regular. I don't know how they did it, but huh. it's it works. Interesting. Well, I may have to look into mm-hmm. that. But speaking of bad games, we're talking about <laughs> Sonic no. the Hedgehog today. And uh, we are not talking so about Sonic without, Adventure 2 or one or Sonic 06 or Sonic in the Dark Knight or Stop. the list goes on. Um, but no, we're talking about the OG, the original, the 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 blue blur himself in all of his 16 bit glory. So I'm going to go ahead and let Chris take it away with the brief history of Sonic the Hedgehog. It's pretty safe to assume that 1990 must have been a pretty nerve-wracking year for Sega. The Mega Drive had just launched in Japan to an echoing thud in 1988, and it was being routinely dominated by NEC's PC Engine, a system that had been designed primarily to compete with the aging Famicom. The North American launch of the renamed Sega Genesis in 1989 had fared better, outdueling the PC Engine equivalent to Graphic 16 but could not make significant gains against Nintendo's dominant market share, especially in the face of the recent release of Super Mario Bros. 3. While Sega had seen success in the European and South American markets with its master system, their home console presence was severely lacking in their home market in Japan and in North America, which was the largest and most important market in the world. With the heavily anticipated Super Nintendo launch looming in late 1990 and 91 in Japan and North America respectively, Sega had to do something, and fast. Up to this point, Uh. Sega had been heavily relying on their arcade prowess and presence for software to port to their home consoles. The Sega Genesis was no different, being packed in with the graphically impressive arcade port of Altered Beast, and having sequels or altered versions of arcade hits Space Harrier, Afterburner, Hang On, and Thunderblade. While these were all decent ports in their own right, except for Thunderblade, that sucks, these games were beginning to become long in the tooth in the arcade and weren't moving systems as expected. Sega had also made an attempt to establish a mascot going back to the Master System. Starting with Opa Opa from Fantasy Zone, Sega quickly shifted to Alex Kidd, a monkey-like child who had a series of platformers who used his fists, vehicles, and rock-paper-scissors to make his way to victory. While the Alex Kid games were not poorly received on the whole, Alex didn't provide the same marketability and success that Mario did for Nintendo. Sega decided to take a gamble and establish a new mascot, one that could re-establish its brand, compete with Nintendo, and, hopefully, be as iconic as Mickey Mouse. Sega set out to design a game with an emphasis on speed. Early designs revolved around fast animals to include rabbits, armadillos, hedgehogs, and even a bearded fat man with glasses. Being this was the 90s, it was not only the time for clacks, but it was also the time for aggression and attitude. So an animal with aggressive spines was chosen, the hedgehog. The design, created by Sega designer Naoto Oshima, 
would take heavy inspiration from Felix the Cat for the head and Mickey Mouse for the body while taking the design for the shoes from Michael Jackson. He would be blue to match the Sega logo and exaggerated spikes to look sleeker. His name would be Sonic to emphasize the game's focus on speed. It was probably a much better of a placeholder name than the one of Mr. Needlemouse. Sega then gave the project to programmer Yuji Naka and six other people to develop the game. The group called themselves Sonic Team and consisted of two programmers, two sound engineers, and three designers. The team essentially used Mario as a template in all facets of design, with the goal of, naturally, speeding it up. This design decision can be seen in the game's simplicity, with Sonic only needing to be controlled through the D-pad in a jump button, much like the very earliest iterations of Nintendo's iconic plumber. The game would first be revealed at the January 1991 International Consumer Electronics Show to critical acclaim. With the goal of Sonic championing the American market, Sonic the Hedgehog would be released first in North America on June 23, 1991, mere months before the Super Nintendo, as a standalone and pack-in for the Sega Genesis, ditching this Altered Beast bundle. Sega would see immediate results in its sales, outselling the Super Nintendo 2 to 1 during the SNES's launch window, and controlling 65% of the 16-bit American market in January of 1992. Sega was so invested in pushing Sonic, they even offered pre-Sonic Genesis owners the game for free as part of a mail-in offer. Reception was, as expected, overwhelmingly positive with some publications awarding Sonic Game of the Year honors over Super Mario World. Wow. Uh, Sonic would go on to become synonymous with Sega itself, with the status of each being a direct reflection of each other. Sega was able to be the company to finally make a substantial cut into Nintendo's dominance and show that it was possible for competition in the market. While the legacy of Sonic has seen its fair share of ups and downs through the myriad of sequels and reinventions, it cannot be understated the importance and impact that it had on its initial release for the video game industry. And that is your brief history of Sonic the Hedgehog. All right, and thank you, Chris, for that brief history of Sonic the Hedgehog. Um... Man, all right. So we, I think we have a whole lot to discuss here. Um, so why don't we go ahead and get started with kind of our experiences with <laughs> it? I know yours is going to be probably vastly different than mine. So so let's start with you. Um, when when did you first encounter the the blue blur? You know, to be honest, I think it was right along launch window, like right when it came mm -hmm. out. And I say that because I didn't have a Genesis when Sonic came out. I didn't have a Genesis until Streets of Rage 2 became a bundle with the Genesis. But I had played Sonic before it because my neighbor had a Genesis. So I didn't have a Super Nintendo yet. So this had to be – I had Super Nintendo in the launch window like right for Christmas. And that was the system mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I wanted. And that's how it went for spoiled kids like me. So <laughs> I had played Sonic. Sonic was very visually impressive. And, and Sonic was something that a lot of people wanted to play. Uh, so I played it when it initially came out. Uh, there were daycares that I went to, kind of like summer camp daycares kind of thing, uh, that they had a Sega there, and a lot of people played Sonic. So there was a lot of Sonic playing for me right around when it came out. It was always the man. What kind of what kind of bougie ass like daycares did you go to? I had a fucking Genesis hooked up. When I went to daycare, we got we like watched like old ass VHSs of Barney. Like what? <laughs> I need to figure out where you were going. 
it, it's the life, man. It's you know. Yeah, yeah. It's that sounds real rough, man. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Go on. So regale us with stories of the one percent. Yes. Um, <laughs> don't eat me when the revolution is over. Um, I'm not mm. there anymore. So yeah, Sonic just became this the one thing that if you did not have a Sega Genesis, that that was the one reason that you would want a Sega Genesis. And that was, you know, pretty much fairly agreed on by everyone who didn't have one. Just back, going back to the, the 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 playground discussions and the schoolyard discussions. So you mean like that whole Altered Beast bundle wasn't working out for them? I didn't even know the Genesis existed up until Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> I'm serious, man. I mean, I'm not exactly. No, I mean, like that's. Yeah, I would say that's that's probably actually not uncommon. But you have to remember, I mean, in, in 1991, I was six. So it's not like sure. I'm really keeping my thumb on the pulse of the video game industry when you're five or six years old. Right. You, you can only really right. track what you're playing. But as a five or six year old, I didn't even know that the, what the Sega Genesis was until I saw Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, so I, when you're talking about trying to grab that market, we can get more into it after you describe it. I think that was really important uh, because Sonic Sonic had that impact. Now, before we really get too much into that, because that's that's an entirely different topic on its own mm. rights. What's your first experience mm-hmm. with Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah, so weirdly enough, even though um, the Genesis, I don't, I don't know if it was right at at the off or or right around the time that Sonic came out and they started bundling it with it or not, but it was the, it was the less it was the less expensive console, right? Like compared to the SNES, which I believe was like about two hundred bucks. Yeah, the Genesis was going for like one forty nine, I think. Right, and. But weirdly enough, even though it was the cheaper console out of the two, um, I I didn't encounter one until I started hanging out with, um, well, uh, a one percenter kid from my school. <laughs> uh, this is why I'm like noticing a trend here. It's like, why is it that the rich kids apparently had Segas? Like, but even the, even though it was the cheaper console. The Right. That's right. That's the thing. I mean, maybe, you know, it's some Warren Buffett shit, right? Like maybe that's why they're well off is because they don't spend all their money on expensive game consoles. I don't know. Well, did he have a Neo Geo? But, um, no, he did not have that. Okay. So he's not super 1%. I don't, I don't think, I was say, I don't think anybody even knew what the hell a Neo Geo was like, you know, in our circle of, of kids back then. But yeah, um, I did. We'll, we'll talk more about it later though. Well, of course you did. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, like I I I never had one. <laughs> I had the Master System, right, which we talked about right. before. Um, but then I went basically straight Nintendo, nothing but that for quite a while. And so I had a Super Nintendo, and then my friend, I went over to his house fairly often, and he had a Genesis. And so that was my first kind of exposure, really, to both the Genesis and um, you know by proxy Sonic. As well as he had Altered Beast, of course, and of course. Uh, a couple other games. But so that's where I first encountered it. And it was this like weird foreign alien thing to me because coming from Nintendo land where it was like, you know, either the NES with two buttons or the Super Nintendo with four, which I was very, very used to at that point already. I go over there and it's like this weird ABC three button layout controller. And it's like totally different set of games and it was just like i was completely out of my element but it was like this strange like <laughs> exotic thing for me i guess because mm-hmm. i had no exposure to it whatsoever but uh that's how i kind of came to it first so I, I never had a 
I never had the opportunity to actually put a whole lot of time into it. Um, you know, when it was still relevant, I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's fair. I think that's where a lot of the the lines were divided at the time too. You you either had Super Nintendo and Mario, or you had Sega and Sonic, and that's pretty much that's what it was. Yeah. I mean, this was kind of like the height of the console wars, right? Mm. Like that that was kind of that time. It was I mean, the start of the console wars. The mm. height, yeah, the height was the, it was starting to develop. Like the height would probably be about a year or two afterwards. So sure. before we yeah. really get into this discussion, just a little bit yeah. of a a primer for this. One of the best things about <laughs> having a video game podcast uh, with another fellow video gamer is you tend to agree on a lot of things. <laughs> You tend you tend to yep. because both yeah you know, usually video games are are somewhat of a universally acquired taste. You you like the same things, you enjoy the same things. Uh, one of the downsides to video game podcasts is that you like the same things. So mm-hmm. today it's a little unique because I like Sonic the Hedgehog. I think it's a good game. I enjoy it, and I think it is one of the most vastly overrated games in the history of video games. <laughs> Wait, was that was that too subtle? I don't know. <laughs> the, with a sledgehammer, Shane, you're doing a fantastic job. Okay, great. All right. So I kind of want to focus more of, before we get into gameplay. I do want to focus on the importance of Sonic the Hedgehog. And sure. With that, I, I kind of want to talk about the graphics, and this goes back to the Neo Geo and what what I was seeing kind of at the trail end of what I was saying about my brief history with it is when Sonic the Hedgehog came out. Right. Mm-hmm. There wasn't a single game that had the sprite work that Sonic did. I don't think, I can't remember a single game, at least mainstream, that looked as good as Sonic the Hedgehog. You had the Neo Geo, which was 20, which we all made the joke, was like, oh, it's a 24-bit system. And I could under completely understand, you know, I went to CompUSA and saw that thing hooked up to a TV and it was playing. I was like, oh, that looks cool. And I think I was told that thing is way too fucking expensive. And it was, because it was something like $700 in 1990. And the games were three hundred dollars yeah. a piece in nineteen ninety, so I wasn't getting a Neo Geo. Not many people were getting a Neo Geo. Very few. Uh, but it was next to the Neo Geo. Sonic the Hedgehog showed what Sega could do. It showed what the Genesis was capable of. Because prior to that, you had a, a lot of the, the mainstream games coming out of Sega were darker, murkier. They didn't look bad. But it just wasn't a lot of color to it, and they're very, very basic and simple games. And I, I, I heard somewhere um, prior to doing this episode as well that Sega was still making more money off its arcade business than it was its console home business. So it mm. makes sense for them to rely on their arcade hits to try and push their system. And I think by this point they realized it just was not fucking working. Right. But Sonic was well. Yeah, Sonic so was colorful. They, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. Uh, it's, just, it's it's interesting because it sounds like they were kind of suffering from the same problem that a lot of games would end up suffering from come like the, let's say, early to mid aughts era, uh, a la Gears of War, where everything was suddenly just a whole bunch of like drab brown and gray. And that was the color palette for damn near everything for a while. And it kind of sucked. Yeah. And so having so having something like Sonic be this like ultra vibrant, you know, contrast mm-hmm. to that, quite literally, in fact, mm-hmm. um, was certainly like a breath of fresh air. Like I will I will absolutely give it that. Right. Because okay, Space Harrier, bright and colorful in the arcades. Bright, colorful, fun, right. fun game in the arcades. 
Space Harrier 2, not bright, fun, and colorful mm-hmm. on the Sega Genesis. Ultra Beast, not bright, fun, and colorful on the Sega Genesis. Uh, Super Thunder Blade, when it came out on Sega Genesis, absolute trash garbage game. Uh, hang On, Super <laughs> Hang On, really good game, actually. It's, it's, it's a really good game. Uh, but but yeah. the appeal of Hang On was what? Getting on the fucking bike in the arcade. Yeah, and, pretty much. And Outrun, another colorful game, but it, it's too simplistic by that point. People started expecting more, I think. I think that was a fair assessment. Racing games weren't really in at the time either on the consoles. They were more arcade only. And you're getting a significant downgrade when you came to the console ports anyway. So Sure. And Nintendo had established dominance by doing what? Making console unique experiences. Something that Sega wasn't really offering. And when they did offer it, it wasn't necessarily promoted very well. Because I have a game. It's called Jewel Master for the Sega Genesis. And this is probably really deep cut. It's a good, decent, fun game with a nice soundtrack. But it doesn't really separate itself so that's that's kind of where sega was at and you see a lot on the master system too like whenever they try to do console exclusive efforts they were good but they're never great and right or they didn't look cutting edge is the best way i could say i think that's what really separated sonic yeah yeah no and i like i said i will i will absolutely give it that and for the record before we kind of launch into the rest of these like bullet points of things that we want to cover uh because there are a lot but I do want to make it known that my I I am willing to change my opinion on certain things given, you know, proper evidence for such. And having gone back and played the original Sonic again um, in preparation for this episode, I, I am willing to admit that it is not as bad as I had been saying up until this point. But there is a reason for that, and it's because I purposefully approached the game in a different way. And I'm going to get uh-huh. into that here in a second. So what what I would like to do, if Chris wants to come along with me on this journey. I am is, strapped in, buddy. Great. Strapped All on. Right, good. So, so the way to, you know, the best way to approach these kinds of things, if you've ever talked to, you know, <laughs> any sort of like social engagement people or anything like that is if you need to give somebody bad news, it's always a great idea to take like the Oreo cookie method, which is you sandwich that negativity in two positives. So you start with a positive, you lay out the negative news that you really wanted to give, and then you end on a positive note because it makes the person feel better. So I'm going to do that with this, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it goes. Yeah. So first, some of the positives. From my perspective, I will say that Sonic's character design is genius and is arguably one of, if not the sole reason, that he has managed to persist as an iconic character for decades now. I agree. And it was perfect for its time, which, of course, was like the early 90s. Because as Chris sort of pointed out in the brief history, he very much had that sort of, you know, swagger and attitude and like, you know, I don't care what the man tells me sort of thing going on that Nintendo basically did not have at all. And so, of course, you know, they really leaned into that and and to really great effect. But Sonic and I've heard other people say this, actually, I think it was John Tron at one point, but Sonic is one of the very few mascot characters or just characters in general that has managed to live off of just his image alone for so long. And that in and of itself is impressive, if nothing else, because there have been a bunch of just trash fire Sonic games and somehow 
he is still popular. So there's <laughs> got to be something to be said for that. I, I would say that's just because the first three games were were so good, particularly the second and the third one. Mm-hmm. And it, he was so ubiquitous with Sega. He was Sega. Sonic was Sega. When Sonic wasn't there, Sega was failing. When Sonic was there and and had good games, Sega was thriving. Sure. And that I think that's why and Sonic I mean, continues to live on. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, if you know, they were they were smart about it too. Like, I mean, I you know, one of the things that you pointed out here in our show notes as well is that they quite literally went out in in New York and just kind of mm-hmm. canvassed people for, you know, ideas on the mascot to see what was gonna, you know, work well and what wasn't. I mean they were they were market testing right. this thing so and that's so you know obviously it worked and, and that's that's another thing i want to really touch on here is not only and it, it you described it perfectly and, and going back to the development the character design was established before the gameplay was they started right. working on what they wanted to present to the public and how they wanted to market it to the public and what sonic was going to do to the public before they ever started designing the game. And usually when you do that, you end up with a recipe for disaster. And you didn't get that yeah. with Sonic. I mean, to be fair, like I, I kind of wish they would have stuck with the name Mr. Needle Mouse. <laughs> but that would have been that would have been great. I mean, I'm sure somewhere in the horrific depths of the Sonic canon, there's gotta be some like alternate dimension version of Sonic called Mr. Needle Mouse. And if there isn't then they should get on that. Isn't that the plot of Bendy and the Ink Machine? Sure. Or why or not? Epic Mickey? Is the the I don't know the mean. What about the mean Bean Machine? What about that? We talk about that. I mean, that has <laughs> what? <laughs> the, the silence suggests no. No. Okay. Well, then maybe like we Epic can Mickey talk and Bendy and the Ink Machine like are mean much more machine at, are much, at another time. much more of a parallel. I mean, at least you know about Epic Mickey. I do. Yes. I, I think yes. you can draw we're, something. We're actually with Epic still Mickey in there. the. In the process of finishing up Epic Mickey 2, actually, mm. which is a buggy mess. But at any rate, um, okay, so so that's kind of the positives. He's definitely a, a very well-designed character. And, oh, yeah. and that has helped that image for, well, decades now. Mm-hmm. Segwaying from that, though, we start talking about some of the other things that some, – some concerns that I have, let's just say, with this game. So – if any of, of y'all were around when, you know, Sonic and, and Mario were were duking it out in their respective marketing campaigns, you might remember that just about every single commercial or ad spot or or what have you for Sonic leaned incredibly heavily on two things. One was his attitude and edginess, um, making him seem cooler and more for the the older kids slash adults than Nintendo's, you know, mustachioed mascot. And the second thing is the speed. Um, this idea of him being, you know, so much faster and therefore more dynamic and engaging than playing a Mario game. I mean, even, you know, his nickname, the blue blur comes from that and everything. Uh-huh. But the problem I have with that is that the gameplay almost never matches up with what they were promising in their marketing. And this is actually the crux of one of the biggest issues I have with this game and why I feel it is so vastly overrated uh-huh. is because they went so hard on this idea that Sonic is got to go fast. And the level design in just about every stage of Sonic the Hedgehog is 100% 
counterintuitive to the idea of speed. As a player, you are constantly worried about going too fast because the designers decided that they were going to place something in the way every single time, whether it's a spike or an enemy or a pit you drop into or even worse than all of those because it's just infuriating is the number of times where they will place a spring directly in your path to purposefully bounce you backwards. Why the fuck would you do that? When your whole game is marketed on the idea that your character is supposed to go fast, why would you then design every single level to stop you from going fast? It makes no sense. So what you're saying is Sonic is not a good game because of the marketing. I am saying that, well, first of all, I'm not saying that it's a bad game, actually. Um, (laughs) No, 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 I'm not saying it's a bad game. I am saying that it's an overrated game. Okay. And I am also saying that, yes, yes, actually, that is a huge part of my problem is expectations. When you go into a game where you have been pumped full of this idea that, I mean, the the fucking hedgehog is named Sonic. Right. For God's sake. And you go into the game and like the first time you hit a ramp where you're just like, oh shit, it's going down. I'm gonna go fast. Mm. You hit a wall. What? Why? Why would you do that? No, I- and and that, that then sets you up for the expectations for the rest of the game is, oh shit, actually I can't go fast. And then so every time you see a hill or a loop or something like that, you you can never fully commit to going fast like they apparently wanted you to because you just know that there's something that's going to be there that's going to try to kill you or stop you from going fast. That makes no sense. And I I do have a solution for that. So and I don't know if future Sonic games actually did this or not, because I I will be the first to say that I did not fuck with those because I don't care. Right. But just separate those two things. Okay, and what I mean by that is if you want to have sections of the game where you're going to go fast, cool. Let the player go fast. Put a bunch of loop-de-loops and some other shit in there and make it fun and let them go fast. But then have other sections of the level completely separate from that, I might add, where you're going to do all of your platforming and more of that precision stuff and like trying to counter enemies and what have you separate those two things because when you try to mix them like they did so often in this game that's what you end up with is you you never feel like you can truly just do what presumably they wanted you to do which is to just go fast because you know you're going to get fucking stabbed by something or drop off a cliff and that's just not it's not fun okay so before i counter shane which he makes a lot of sure. good points Sounds like you need to play the Sonic Advance and Sonic Rush games. Okay. And I think so. I mean, is that what – do they do that in that? Then? It's it's almost like, hey, go fast, 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 fast. Like fast. Okay. Fast. Well, maybe that's – well, so that's maybe them finally making good on the promise that Sonic is supposed to be super fast because that does not happen nearly as often as it probably should in this game, um, in my opinion. That ends. You didn't think Sonic Colors did that? I actually didn't really play much of Sonic Colors. Sonic Colors is a good game. To be fair. Sonic Generations you should check out too. They did a good job of that that as well. Yeah. But we're talking about the original. We are talking about the original. And those are very very valid complaints. So being someone who played Sonic at its genesis, 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Roll credits. We're done. I don't know if the because I found out about it independent of marketing. I I Mm. think there was the the idea that Sonic went fast, but I don't think I actually owned a Sonic game until Sonic 2. I didn't start out owning Sonic. I don't think I had like I said, the bundle I got for the Sega Genesis came with Streets of Rage 2. And I don't think I had the original Sonic until a couple years after I I had a Genesis. Even though, like, it's synonymous. You'd think I played it so much, I'd want that. No, but I got Sonic 2. So when when I think of the original Sonic, I I don't really remember the marketing around Sonic the Hedgehog. I remember Sega – I remember the advertisements of Sega using the fact that Sonic was fast in order to promote its blast processing campaign and how it was Mm – had blast processing it was faster over the super nintendo of course they're just referring to the clock speed of its processor which was faster even though in almost every other way the the genesis was inferior to the super nintendo but we're not going to talk about that again well it's almost like they were being disingenuous with their marketing chris yeah no shit crazy yeah but i don't okay i don't remember that necessarily being a problem when playing the game however if you do go into sonic the hedgehog thinking that this is a game where you're just going to be running with the blue blur Yes, you are going to be sorely disappointed. I really only think Green Hill Zone really provides that sense of satisfaction towards that kind of gameplay style. Because you go from Green Hill Zone, which is a faster setup, and that's if you're not trying to get the Chaos Emeralds. Because if you're trying to get the Chaos Emeralds, you're going to play the game much more carefully because you're trying to try to make it to the end of the level with 50 rings. So you can go to the bonus Mm -hmm. stages, which are vomit-inducing. Um... (laughs) So after Green Hill Zone, you go to uh, the, the I think the Marble Zone. Yep. And then Marble Zone. That is very. There's a sense of speed to it, especially when you have to jump from platform to platform because it's catching on fire. But it does definitely slow it down. Where you have to push blocks, and you have to stand on blocks, and you have to you have to be patient. So right from the onset, you're, you're taught that Sonic in the second level is not going to be a go fast game. So if your expectation mm-hmm. was to go fast. Marble, I think Marbles, I, don't, I want to call it Marble Hill. I don't think it's called Marble Hill, but Marble something zone. Uh, it's, it's just called, I think it's just called Marble Zone. Yeah, Marble Zone yeah. immediately deflates your expectations after getting done with Green Hill Zone. Uh, Spring Hill Zone, and I think that, I'm just, everything's hill, by the way. I'm just going to call everything uh, hill. Fuck spring, it. Spring, spring, spring Yard Zone. Spring Yard Zone. Yeah. Spring Yard Zone, that is definitely a game of patience because you're jump. that is a true platforming level. That is a true platforming mm-hmm. stage. Again, it's subverting your expectations. You're not expecting that. I mean, they also throw in those like uh, like pinball things in there too in that level. Yeah, but not fully. Which, which was sort of like a foreshadowing of Sonic Spinball. I guess. I think I that's know. my least favorite level actually in the in the second and yeah. third Sonic games are the is the casino levels because I fucking hate them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, well, they're hard to control, but yeah. And then you go from there to the the most foreboding and ill-fated words in the entire sonic vernacular which is labyrinth zone and you are not moving fast in labyrinth zone and you are frustrated at labyrinth zone and that is a very hard level that is not a sonic level that's not a sonic level that is a mario level i'm going to tell you right now Mm -hmm. that is a mario level it's it's actually like i played it again it's not terribly designed by all accounts. The level itself, I think, in terms of level design, is probably higher on the on the on the Sonic less from that game, from the original game. I actually think it's pretty well designed. But it's not a sure. Sonic level. And it's extremely frustrating because it is difficult. And if you don't do not know what you're doing going into that level, you are going to fail again, again, and again, especially on the boss. 
because the boss is absolute controller breaking rage inducing. If you're not, which you've is never funny played before. because right, because all of the boss encounters up until that point were actually like more or less dead simple. Yes. It's the only it's the only boss in the entire game where you do not have to destroy Robotnik. And so, OK, so so you're talking about the the design of, of Labyrinth Zone. And so that actually that's a that's a good point, which kind of segues me into another thing that I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about about this, which is if you so one last thing on the speed thing before I actually talk about that, because it's odd. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm talking a whole lot about how it seems very counterintuitive to that whole idea that he's supposed to go fast, which I still believe is true. But oddly enough, you will still hit some spots in some levels. I mean, even in green Hill zone, Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely in uh, marble zone for sure. Oh yeah. Where if you do not go fast, you get stuck and not like permanently stuck, just infuriatingly stuck. Mm -hmm. Like you'll get stuck at the bottom of a valley where you, you suddenly realize like, Oh, I was supposed to be able to run fast to get through this. But now I have to, I guess, find my way to like clunkily jump my way out of here and continue on in the level. And it does. And this has not helped. In fact, it's exacerbated by the fact that the physics and like inertia systems in this game are built with the notion that you have a lot of forward momentum, you know, the fucking speed. Right. So if you don't have that, then like if you if you have Sonic trying to climb up like an incline because he didn't get to go fast enough and so now you have to back up and try it again. Have you ever like just try jumping when you're on an incline? He doesn't jump straight up like you would expect any other platforming character to do. He jumps off at an angle, which may actually be more realistic uh-huh. but is a huge pain in the ass when when you're actually trying to navigate a level and so leading into what you were talking about with labyrinth zone is that the level designs themselves might not necessarily be bad and in fact they might be very good but not for sonic i agree because sonic far in my opinion Sonic is a far less precise and more sluggishly controlled character than Mario ever was or ever will be. No, 100% agree. And and so if you are trying to have the player do all of this very precise platforming, which to your point immediately becomes apparent in Marble Zone when suddenly there's just a shitload of lava and like floating blocks that you need to, you know, jump across to get to your next area that becomes unnecessarily difficult because Sonic just doesn't control that well. And so that that's one of the big issues. So in my opinion, and I don't know this fucking whatever, this might be a hot take or some shit, but if you take away the whole speed gimmick, in my opinion, Sonic is at best a mediocre platformer with sluggish and imprecise controls. That's That's basically like if you had to sum up my argument for Sonic, that's pretty much it right there. I would say it's an above average. I would say it's above average. Mm. And that's mostly because if you, if you... So that's where the physics really do rear their ugly head is in Labyrinth Zone. Uh, just mm-hmm. because there were times where I'd be moving from you know one platform to another and there'd be a surprise enemy, by the way, which is another big problem with Sonic. Um, yep. It, and I'd want to go duck. But because the momentum would be carrying me forward, I couldn't duck. Or if you get hit by an enemy, you know, you get bounced way the fuck back and you have no control over that trajectory. So in some cases, 
you might just get bounced and launched off of something into some spikes and die, which is not something that's unique to Sonic. I mean, that's a fucking complaint that I have going as far back as like Castlevania. Original Castlevania. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which maybe we'll be talking about at some point in the future. Hopefully. But 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 it's still a problem. And and like I had multiple instances playing Sonic where like I might, you know, accidentally hit some spikes or something. And then because of that, you know, unavoidable knockback, I would then just land on more spikes and die. And so I had as a player, I had no agency over what was happening right there. I just got to watch myself die and then start over. And, see, and that's that's not fun. I, I didn't really have that problem. I actually think Sonic is very forgiving with its with the amount of frames of animation that you're invulnerable at. Um, you look at a level like Starlight Zone, which is a which is a later level and does give you that does have a lot of speed uh, mm-hmm. if you if you're not looking for chaos emeralds anymore. Of course, uh, it does have right. quite a bit of speed. There's plenty of invincibility boxes all around so you can grab the invincibility thing. And, and, and of course, that lends itself to being faster because you're not as afraid of getting hit by things. But don't you feel like that's a crutch? I feel like that's a design crutch from well, from the developers where they're just like, OK, we want you to go fast. But there's a bunch of bullshit that we put in these levels. So let's just give you some invincibility boxes to overcome that. Like that just seems like I, I don't know. It seems like them trying to put a bandaid on a problem. Well, I, and I'll, I'll address that because I do think the later stages are are very, very have some serious problems in terms in terms of surprise enemies. Right. But I will say this in terms of trying to regain momentum. The only real time I was having problems trying to regain momentum uh, and trying to go in a direction I wanted to. We're in situations that actually lends itself to kind of a sonic trademark and it, one of its strengths and in, in that it has multiple paths to get to the end. It's very mm-hmm. exploration based. So you can take one path, one linear path, the, the path of least resistance, and you can get from point A to point B. Or you can explore and you can find item boxes to get you that shield, to get you that invincibility, to get you, which is actually a curse, the speed you up box. Fuck that box. Um <laughs> But it can lead to additional exploration benefits that you can gain. And it's all over the game. So whenever I found myself uh, trying to gain momentum in playing this game, it was because I found a path I wanted to go down, but I didn't initially have the speed to get to it. So I tried to regain it, even though there was another path I could easily access at the same time. And that's where I ran into it. And maybe that was by design. Like, hey, you didn't you don't know the game well enough to get to this point yet. But when you do get to this point, you know the game, then you can manipulate it. And that was something very characteristic of the 90s, where they would have multiple paths. And if you couldn't access something, you had to become good at the game for the level of memorization. You could say that's a flaw, and I would agree with it, but it wasn't something unexpected for the time period. And it was something to be expected from the time period, especially when it came to platformers. You could say the same thing about any Mario game. Uh, You could say the same thing about just, just about any game in terms of level yeah. like shooters. It's just something that happened. Sure. And and so I, I don't disagree with that. But I think, again, it's less of an egregious problem with something like Mario where be, simply because, and again, this is all based on a preconceived notion if you're going into it. But if you're if you're hinging your entire character and marketing strategy mm-hmm. off of he, he, he done go fast, mm-hmm. then having multiple paths through a level and... I guess encouraging exploration is once again counterintuitive to the idea of I'm a blaze my ass through mm-hmm. this level because Sonic he does go fast. Like oh, and that's com- if, if that's what you want to okay. do, then you're not going to be exploring. But that's completely on marketing. 
and, and I'm not sure. saying I'm not saying sure. I'm not saying that that wasn't Sega's fault. It's completely Sega's fault. It's a hundred percent Sega's fault that if you that if you went into this game expecting to do that, they marketed it for you to expect to do that. And if you're I just upset feel like that, the game doesn't know yeah. what it wants to be because you have all of these like the physics system and everything that's built yeah. quite obviously around the idea of Sonic going really fast and becoming, you know, his little blue blur spin ball. And and that for what it's worth, those that works well. But it's like they're trying to split the difference, though, because like they kind of want to do that, but then they kind of want to be more of a platformer like Mario, but then they can't fucking decide what they want to do. And so neither one works exceedingly well. The best way I could really what I can really equate Sonic to is Wii Sports. I wanted to equate it to <laughs> okay. Nintendo Land. Go on. <laughs> I want to equate it like games like Nintendo Land and Wii Sports. The entire purpose uh-huh. of Sonic was not necessarily to make a fantastic game. Okay, the, I can agree with that. The point of Sonic was to show off what the Genesis could do and to push units. Uh-huh. Sure. And to Which capture it, the mean, hearts and minds of... On that front. Well, it, then it set out. It was a game based on marketing. It was a game to get out to impressionable youths to say, buy this game with a cute, with a cute spiny mouse who goes fast and get a Sega Genesis... Because it will move fast, the characters will move faster on here than they will on your Super Nintendo. And until they don't, it did. It did. It was successful. Well, okay, it was successful in showing <laughs> what the Sega, what the Sega Genesis could do. It's right. you know we always talk about tech demos and what what a game that is essentially a tech demo for the potential of what the system could eventually provide. That is Sonic the Hedgehog, and it's not yeah. a bad tech demo. That's why I say it's like Wii Sports. Wii Sports took Nintendo, who was in a bad way after. Uh, mediocre, disappointing GameCube, you know, generation, GameCube lifespan, right. after a disappointing N64 lifespan, and said, hey, here's a game that's not fantastic, but is good enough to make you wonder what you could do with the system. And that's what Sonic did. I mean, so I don't disagree with you. And like I said, I think it succeeded exceedingly well on that point. And if that if that was their goal, then kudos to them because it fucking worked for sure. In North America and Europe. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I mean, arguably, I guess that's probably more important, right? I don't know. Yeah, um, I would say so. But so, but that aside, then that sort of, in a way, kind of solidifies my notion that really Sonic has never been particularly good. Like, and f- maybe it was I, never okay. meant to be. I would make, I would accept that, and, and we're not talking about any other Sonic than the original one. Right, right. I, I mean, as Sonic went on, Sonic Two and Sonic Three were much better games, and maybe one day we'll talk about them. Um, sure. And I'll agree. I will. I will completely agree that when you look at this and you, you turn off the nostalgia and you shut out the marketing and you just go and play Sonic, you have an above average platformer with um, special stages that make you want to throw up and <laughs> good level design. Not great with sometimes great, sometimes OK controls. And when I say by OK level design, OK, I know I'm kind of going off on it. I'm going to go off on a tangent here and it kind of goes with that. Scrap brain level is one of the worst design levels in all of Sonicdom. It's mm-hmm. it's a terribly it's a terribly designed level. And and to some point, so is is Starlight Zone, if you don't know the way through it. Because yes, as Shane put, they will put surprise fuck yous everywhere in these levels. <laughs> you'll just be going through, you'll be thinking you're doing fine. There's sometimes like 
okay, so like in the in the original Mario Brothers, this is why it's so good. If you know how to play Super Mario Brothers, the original one, you could just run through that level, and if you know the timing of every single like fire column and and fucking Bowser's castle, you can just keep running and you can keep moving, and it's yep. That's that's kind of what you expect from Sonic, and sometimes in Scrap Brain, you can do that. And that should be what Sonic is. If you have, if you are bold and brave enough to keep on moving, you will avoid obstacles and feel powerful. Scrap Brain doesn't do that at all. Starlight Zone doesn't do that at all. Uh, you'll be running really fast in Starlight Zone and then fall, find yourself running off a platform and into uh, into the void to lose a life. Uh, Scrap Brain Zone will have you running into a fire column. Scrap Brain Zone will have you running into a um, a saw blade or or a lightning bolt or just something that's going to be there to have you lose all your rings. Now, again, Sonic is very forgiving because you have a lot of frames of uh, invincibility of animation. And as long as you have one ring, your ass is good. It's your cover. Okay. We're, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but I'm going to let you finish. But it is so frustrating because it constantly does stop your momentum. It constantly hits you and knocks you back and makes you and makes you feel like you did something wrong when you didn't do anything wrong. You were just mm-hmm. playing the game and surprise, here's a chain out of nowhere you didn't see but now it just thwacked you. Surprise, yeah. here's a here's here and it's not even enemies cuz enemies I can understand cuz you can jump and you can kill them, you can destroy them. But like environmental hazards that you cannot do anything about that just show up while you're moving. And you see a lot of that, particularly in Scrap Brain Zone, particularly in Starlight Zone. I understand they're later levels, so the the difficulty's supposed to be a little bit higher, but that's not difficulty. That's fuck you. No. That's fuck you difficulty. Cheap shots. Yes. That that's this that's the same argument that I can't wait until like next year because as soon as it rolls the clock over, we are gonna be talking about Dark Souls. Mm-hmm. But um it's the same argument with that that you know there were a whole bunch of dark souls alike games that tried to do that after the first dark souls came out and a lot of them fucked it up because they equated difficulty to cheap shots and dark mm-hmm. souls never really did that anything that you fucked up was something that you fucked up and then you learned how to get around it but they didn't take that you know design lesson very well and it's the same idea here there's like one spot mm-hmm. in spring yard zone by the way that pissed me off so much you again you are going fast you go down a hill and you're like oh man i am the needle mouse what goes fast <laughs> and then you hit a spring and it bounces you back into an enemy that wasn't there before that's why that's I got horse shit that's why i got pressed down and roll dude whatever man it's terrible design it's <laughs> Uh, all right. So one last thing that I wanted to cover of my criticisms, um, which you actually mentioned. So that was that was good. I'm glad you brought it up. Let's talk a little bit about the ring system. Let's talk about the ring system. I like the ring system. I think it is very poorly designed. And here is why. Okay. The only thing and this is not ex- this is excluding the idea that you need 50 rings to do the bonus stages because that's whatever. That's legitimate. Fine. Uh-huh. But outside of that, I think the ring system is poorly designed because you don't give a fuck about the number of rings you have as long as you have one. That's really, mechanically speaking, from a game mechanic standpoint, that's the only thing that ever matters in just about every Sonic game that I can think of. As long as you have just one ring, that gives you that extra hit before you die, and that's really all you care about. So the rest of the rings that you collect are either just for points, so I guess for bragging rights, or if you're trying to do a full completion, in this case, you know, you need the 50 for the bonus stages. 
But other than that, that's it. And to me, that seems poorly designed. Like at least in Mario, if you collect X number of coins in a level, you gain a one up or something to that effect. Well, but, same with Sonic. Okay, how many rings do you need? A hundred? Yep. Let me guess. Right? Yeah. Okay, fine. I just I just think that the whole like if you just you only need one and like that's the biggest mechanical reason to have rings i just feel like that's not very well designed no i mean that's that's completely understandable but that's why they do provide incentives and and it's like you have a legitimate argument because as soon as you get all six chaos emeralds all you need is one ring in every single level because yeah. why would you need anything else in order to preserve your life just get one and you're going to be okay but i think in later levels you do particularly see that fuck you aspect that i mentioned mm-hmm. because they will I found myself continually in positions where I would get hit, especially in Scrap Brain Zone Zone 3, where you get hit and it's just, just the position you're in makes it almost insanely difficult to recover a ring without getting hit again. Mm-hmm. So it's almost this intentional design that, no, you go fuck yourself. <laughs> so um, there is a lot of that. But I think that's that's a dynamic of, of two different identities Sega was trying to juggle at that moment, uh, which – why I still think Sonic the Hedgehog is an easier game. It, it is a pretty easy game. It's it's not a very long game, and I think it's an easy game. Mm-hmm. But that's because Sega was trying to juggle two mindsets. They were an arcade company, by and large. So that artificial bullshit difficulty that they implemented in some of the later stages in particular probably stemmed from the development mindset that we have to throw in these things to constantly present the player with uh, with danger uh, in order to get hit, in order to take damage, because that's the arcade belief that we will just just continue hurting them until they pump more quarters into the into the machine. But the same right. point they saw what Mario was doing is like, well, we can't make this game too hard because if we make this game too hard. It's not going to be a successful console game because we look at Mario three. Mario three is not too hard. It's not too difficult until you get to the later levels. Um. Right. So we have to keep the players engaged. So you, I think if you look at Sonic the way it's designed, if you look at the level pro- progression, if you look at the way that you take damage and you move forward, that's a conflict of identity that mm-hmm. they were going through at the time. They didn't know if they wanted to be console developers or if they wanted to be arcade developers. And Sonic is that clash of identities. No, I I mean, that's I think that's actually a very insightful like look into that. And I, I think that you can apply that to just about everything in Sonic the Hedgehog because that kind of tracks with what I was saying earlier where I feel like they were trying to split the difference between two different play styles and didn't know which one to settle on and so neither one of them work exceedingly well right yeah Yeah. and yeah and I think that does come from the arcade versus console yeah yeah and that may very well be the case for sure um just one last quick note by the way any publication that gave sonic a game of the year over super mario world is dead wrong and they can go fuck themselves <laughs> you want to make that very clear you right want, now you want to know which one that was yeah i do actually it's the probably the most lauded uh video game magazine of all time it was a fucking famitsu egm oh really yeah cool well okay all i gotta say is fake news so actually this this Let's bring us to a show note, and I'll be very brief with this one. So when sure. doing consumer tests with people, um, mm-hmm. of course, who else would they do consumer tests with? So when they were doing consumer <laughs> tests with hedgehogs, um, <laughs> they were finding out whether or not people would prefer Sonic to Mario. And what I found is that they did consumer tests from comparing Mario to Sonic, and they said that people preferred Sonic 
eight to two or four to one on a ratio. Eighty percent of people preferred Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay. I didn't wasn't part of this. I haven't done the research to really qualify this, but every indication that I've seen said that they would show Mario to prospective consumers. They'd show them video, okay. I don't know if Mario 3 or Mario World, but they'd show them footage from Super Mario. And then they would play Sonic the Hedgehog. Not show them mm. Sonic the Hedgehog, let them play Sonic the Hedgehog. And they, they said out of that, people said they preferred Sonic the Hedgehog to Mario. So again, that goes back to misleading Jeez. marketing. That's just dirty. <laughs> I gotta... Oh, man. Uh, yeah okay great sure that's good old tom kalinsky yeah cool sega legend it's great (sighs) all right so i'll 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 wrap this up with the other the other half of the of the cookie sandwich here and put another positive in this which is i super dig the soundtrack of this game um it's great i think i think all all but i'm gonna say one all but one of the stage tracks are excellent. The only one, and maybe this is just because this particular zone was just doomed to be a shit show. I really don't like the music in Labyrinth Zone, like at all. Like not even a little bit. I like it, but I can understand how it would bring people nightmares. <laughs> well, I don't even have that whole like, you know, oh God, I remember this zone. It's so bad, like association. I just... Compared to all of the other tracks on, on the soundtrack for this game, I feel like that one's like the weak link. Like all the other mm-hmm. ones are, you know, they got some bumping going on or they're like super funky, like Spring Yard Zone or something, or they're incredibly iconic, like a Green Hill Zone. And then Labyrinth is just kind of meh. I don't know. It, it doesn't really have a lot going for it. But other than that, though, yeah, I think the I think they did an excellent job with the soundtrack. So definitely a plus there. And, for sure. And if and I would also say, you know, the funny thing is, is as great as that soundtrack is in the legacy of Sonic soundtracks, it's probably mm. a weaker game. I mean, yeah, because it doesn't have Escape from the City on it, which is the best Sonic song of all time ever, ever, ever. Yes, ever, ever. And not cheesy at all. It's just great. No, no, it's totally not like Nickelback butt rock. <laughs> it's, it's great. Uh, by the way, if you ever want to get some cheap entertainment, uh, go look up some YouTube videos of uh, Crush 40 playing that song live at a, a Sega Sonic event. It is the best. So very briefly, uh, just wanted to cu- touch on a couple things here. Uh, the Japanese version, by the way, released about two or three months after the North American version. So if you do mm-hmm. have a Sega Mini, um, you will notice if you go to the Japanese version that there is additional levels of parallax scrolling. That's particularly noticeable in Green Hill Zone. Uh, mm. So the Japanese version is actually the complete version, if you care. Gotcha. Uh, by the way, don't play this game on a Sega Mini. There is noticeable lag. Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> That's super helpful in a game where you're supposed to go fast. It's noticeable. Like, I, I've never really noticed controller lag before until I played it in the Sega Mini. I did play with the Sega 3 button controllers provided with the Mini, and I mm. did notice some serious lag. And I, I think that's... Maybe that's just a Sonic thing, because when I played on the emulator for the stream a couple months ago, I was complaining how the controls were mushy. Maybe, but I don't get on the original hardware. It's weird. Uh, maybe it might be the RetroBit mm. controllers, but playing Sonic with leg is absolutely terrible. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, any any platformer, that's going to be a bad time. Second of all, this game was ported. I won't say ported, but there was a version of the original Sonic the Hedgehog that came out on the Sega Master System and the Sega Game Gear. And mm-hmm. Sonic the Hedgehog on the Sega Master System was the last game released 
in North America for the master system. And the only way you can tell if you have a North American version is if it has a UPC sticker on the back and they charge ridiculous prices for it. But if I can be very, very brief and critical with my review of the master system levels, uh, master system game gear version of this game, I honestly think the level design looking critically at it, the level design for the master system and game gear version of this game is better. Hmm. So wait, so is the Game Gear version just basically the Master System version or? They're the same game. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I think the level design is, is, is a little bit better. And I, I so like, so what weird. makes it better? It's more of a platformer. It's more of a true platformer. Okay. Um, so less of like the, the speed fake outs. Yes. There are less speed fake outs. Hmm. It, it's more of a straight up platformer. The soundtrack's not bad either. It's composed by Yuzo Kazuro. If you don't know who that is, he is the composer of the Streets of Rage soundtracks, uh, Shinobi soundtracks, host of soundtracks. But check out the 8-bit version. I really think the 8-bit version is a really underrated gem. I won't say it's better than the 16-bit version, obviously, because the sprite work on Sonic the Hedgehog for the Genesis holds up very, very well. And, and the uh, if you want to get the true, it's not so much. Say if you want to if you want to get the true uh, Game Gear experience. By the way, if you don't have one and you're playing it on an emulator, just play the game for about two hours and then shut it off because your batteries have died. Uh, so what, there's actually one last thing in the show notes that I wanted to touch on because you put it in there and I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh-huh. Um, is just the idea that they wanted to give Sonic like this apparently elaborate background story. <laughs> um, I think that I don't know how much full of shit Oshima was. I have no. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know, but I just all I can think of with that is what a fucking like acid trip nightmare the Sonic lore has become over the years. Right. Like it, it, if you if you follow or, or track with any of that or hell, just go onto the Sonic wiki. That is you've you've got several hours of pretty solid entertainment just reading that shit. But like that will give you an idea, by the way, if you're ever curious what the difference between uh, Dr. Robotnik and Dr. Eggman is, it depends on who you talk to, actually, but they are one and the same person. And originally, the difference was just more of a practical one in that he was called Robotnik in one of the manuals for Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, the North American one. And he was Dr. Eggman in the Japanese version. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, because Sonic lore is an amazing and terrifying behemoth creature. With furries. There is all... Yes. Well, yeah, especially there is an in-universe and very elaborate explanation for why Robotnik and Eggman exist. It is still that they are the same person. It's just that one of them comes from an alternate timeline and eventually usurps the role of the existing Robotnik when he is finally defeated by Sonic and becomes the new Robotnik. So, like, they're kind of the same person, but, like, parallel versions of each other. And there's this whole really insane backstory about that. And, man, Sonic fandom is, it is a fucking thing. Let me tell you what. I, I do think we should briefly talk about Robotnik. Um, he, okay, sure. He was originally, hilariously enough, as I point out in Brief History, one of the considerations for the main character of the game. I, I, think, I mean, he's vaguely circle-shaped, right? Like, he could roll fast. I, I I would love to see Sonic the Hedgehog with him as the protagonist. I think that would be a riot. 
I would absolutely. I'm actually love surprised to see that. there isn't a ROM hack of that. Don't don't be too quick. You know, there's rule 34. I wonder <laughs> if there's a rule for something else. But um, uh, could you imagine Sonic and Robotnik rule 34? In any case, yeah, because it's. I'm sure it's fucking happened. I'm sure well, I invoke rule 34. But um, mm-hmm. I think he's a. You know, they don't really go anything about what his motivations are, other than he's trying to turn all the animals into machines because you know early 90s environmentalism um mm-hmm. with the, the conflict between machinery and nature which it kind of still exists today some some fern gully shit going on yeah fern, i like yeah. Fern gully. but i will I mean, say I do too it's a nightmare but you know <laughs> i i like robotnik i like his design i like um him as a villain and i like the name robotnik i like robotnik more than eggman i think it really oh, yeah. does echo the 90s considerations for a villain name, if you know anything about the Cold War and what the United States was going through and what they felt about Russia at the time. Robotnik's the per- perfect fucking name for that villain. Of course it is. It's so and, and, great. But just like even even divorced from like the comparison to Robotnik, Eggman is just it's a shit name. Like that's not going to inspire fear in everyone, in no. anybody. If you're a villain and you're called Eggman, you sound like a D-list like Batman villain. Uh-huh. It's terrible. <laughs> Well, I, I still like the fact that Robotnik, when he fails, he's still like his, his his character animations. I will say this. The the amount of character that's put in the Sonic the Hedgehog is top notch, too. You didn't see that in Mario when it came to balancing on an edge or looking at you crossly if you didn't move him or oh, yeah. the way they push that... blocks like the character, the character put into this game. Um, it's got so much sass. He does. But, like, you even look at Robotnik, and you can tell when he fails and Sonic defeats him, he looks like an incompetent boob. And I love that. Mm -hmm. I love it when villains are doing enough to make you feel like they could pose a threat. But at the end of the day, you really know that they're going to fail because they're just incompetent. And you get that without any sort of exposition, like, at all. And I think that – I don't know. I like that. And that's why I love Robotnik. I think he's the, the, the perfect villain. It should not be Eggman. They should have always kept it Robotnik. They should have told the Japanese market, look, North America embraced Sonic the Hedgehog way more than you fuckers did. This is our villain. <laughs> you didn't buy Sega Genesis's or Genesi or whatever the fuck. You let fucking the PC engine kick your ass and every other region. It, it, the PC engine outside of Japan did so badly in Europe. They were too afraid to release that motherfucker. It didn't even really get a widespread release. But in Japan, it fucking stomped you. So we are going to keep Robotnik because America embraced it. Sonic is an American hero, and you need to stop calling him fucking Eggman. I was trying to remember in the uh, the Sonic like uh, Saturday morning cartoon that they had running for a while. Yeah, if they called him Robotnik or if it was Eggman. They called him Robotnik. They called him Robotnik. Pretty sure it was Robotnik. Yeah, I think at one point there was actually a joke about that in that show where like somebody called him Eggman or something, and his response was like, "Nobody calls me that anymore." <laughs> but uh, but yeah, also the the Sonic cartoon is is pretty entertaining. That's that's a whole other thing. But the 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 last thing about Robotnik though, um, just as like a cool little historical factoid or or what have you. Their their original like sketch for Eggman, which you can find if you go look like on again like the Sonic Wiki or something, it's pretty cool. Um, but their whole idea behind it was they wanted to draw basically somebody who looked like President Theodore Roosevelt, but in pajamas. Mm. That that was their whole like pitch for it. 
And if you look at that first sketch, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, that 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 makes sense. If that had worked, would the first level be called San Juan Hill instead of Green Hill Zone? Ah. San Juan Hill Zone. Uh, uh, we can we can only guess. The rough riding mighty the armadillo. That's right. You fight a bear at the end of the level. <laughs> uh all right. So I don't know. What do you think, Chris? You think we think we've done a pretty good job of of covering covering the Sanic? I mean, I, I think we could go forever on this, but I think we have done a very good job in accomplishing our mission today. Excellent. So just to, just to summarize, I, I don't think that it is inherently a bad game. I think it is a very competent game. I think it could have been better if they had decided which direction they wanted to go with it. But I blame their marketing almost 100% for all of the problems that it has. All the problems That's Shane has with it. What yes. it has just just me and and nobody else. Well, a lot of other people, but Shane's problems stem uh, from marketing because he is an impressionable Ute. I I mean I was I can't help it, man. Sir, listen when you get those commercials where they're just there's kids getting blown away, glass processing re- recliners and stuff. I mean, how can you not? Yeah, you know? especially because it yeah. showed Sonic ran faster than Mario Kart. <laughs> That's such a stupid comparison. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god anyway so right. are you saying so, it holds uh, up or it does not it okay it, it so it does it, it actually does like i'm not going to hang on to the idea that i think it's shit or something just to make a point like i actually do think that it holds up and and that's just you know supported by the fact that like i said i went back and played it again um today actually the day of recording i was playing it some more and I genuinely enjoyed playing it, actually. But the the thing is, and that was the key difference, which is what I brought up like way at the beginning of the episode, is that I had to go into it with a completely different mindset. As long as I went into playing this game with the idea of it is more of a platformer and I should be a little bit methodical with how I play, as opposed to I just want to try to go fast, it's a much more enjoyable experience. So yes, I mean, like I said, soundtrack's great. The sprite work is amazing. Um, and by and large with, you know, the exception of a few very infuriating spots in the game, it's, it's definitely still highly playable today for mm-hmm. sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I have to be disappointed, Shane. I, I advertised Uh-oh. earlier in this episode that this would be stemming from disagreement, but I think we came to many similar agreements than disagreements throughout this episode. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, don't I know. was looking like, forward it, to a debate and I don't think we debated like at all i i'll be honest i thought you were gonna hold some stronger opinions about it being much better than i thought it was but you seem to agree Uh, with several of my criticisms well i gotta be honestly it was just mostly me just bitching about sonic for like an hour (laughs) essentially yes it was i'm okay with but very much fine Uh, but i agree with uh once again to disappoint all of you i agree (laughs) with shane in saying that this game does hold up and you should play it Absolutely. It's just don't go in expecting anything amazing. Just go in expecting an above average platformer. It won't take you too long. It doesn't overstay its welcome. And you'll see the origins of Sonic the Hedgehog. And it won't you won't get anything explaining to you why it was so important in 1990. But you compare everything that was going on in 1990 to what Sonic the Hedgehog was. Maybe you'll understand a little bit, but it was definitely a revolutionary game. You should check it out. Uh, Sonic 2 and 3 are, are are much better games if you're going to go down that route. Like, what's the best Sonic game? Sonic 2 and 3 are much better. But it's mm-hmm. definitely worth your time. Check it out. Do save states. See what you think of it. 
uh, appreciate it. You don't need to get all the Chaos Emeralds. It just changes the ending slightly. So if you just want to play fast and not give two rats ass about how many coins you have or rings you have at the end of it, then do that. And I would recommend it. So that's where I sit. Cool. Well, uh, having said all of that, um, you know, you talk real quickly about uh, some of the ways you can kind of get in touch with us or engage with the Retro Hangover podcast. So, Absolutely. Uh, if you are listening to this, then you've already found us. So congratulations. Hello. How are you? Hi. Uh, if you haven't already, you can also find us on most of the social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that good stuff. Um, you can also check out our Twitch streams, which are mostly every Sunday evening, unless life gets in the way, which has Almost a tendency to does. happen yeah. from time to time. Yeah. Um, but typically that's going to be on 9 PM Eastern standard time. And, uh, you can come and hang out if you don't. Uh, come and join us live. You can also head on over to our YouTube channel, check out all of the uh, VODs of our streams there, as well as video versions of these episodes. If you would prefer to listen to your podcasts over YouTube. Um, and we also always have our Patreon running. Uh, you can find that if you would like to support the show through donations, um, you can go over to bit.ly that's B I T dot L Y slash rh patron and we also do have a merch store open um so you can support us that way as well if you so choose and that is at uh bit.ly slash rhp merch and uh we actually will probably have a, a new line of uh items coming out fairly soon uh inspired by a comment on one of our instagram posts thank you vertikai so, yes thank you vertikai if you're listening so um be, be on the lookout for that um that i think that one's going to be highly entertaining uh, but outside of that, uh, Chris, you got anything else that you would like to add? Yeah. Make sure to check us out again on the, on all the social media streams that be that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And again, thank you for the continued support on Instagram. I think we have over 230 followers now on that. And, uh, Twitter went over a hundred in between last episode yes. and this time. So thank you very much for doing that. That's all I got, Shane. Absolutely. Cool. All right. Well, until next time, play with your spiny thick joysticks. Mm-hmm.